So in John 21, when Peter is a much younger man, we saw, we saw Jesus speaking of his martyrdom and death. Now in 2 Peter, as a much older man, uh, we see Peter understanding and speaking of his death, which is just around, just around the corner, as it were. So let's read our passage this morning, first of all, and full, and then go from there. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, Peter says, Therefore, I'm going to be always reminding you of these things, even though you know them and are already established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my earthly dwelling will be soon, as also our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able constantly to recall these things. It was just something wonderful for me just about reading that, those verses after, after the things that we've been seeing of Peter in John's Gospel. But Peter, Peter begins in those verses with the words, Therefore, I am going to be reminding you of these things. And then he, he ends those verses with, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able constantly to recall these things. Obviously, then, we're all wondering, what are the, these things that he's going to be reminding them of? So we, know, we need to go back and read, then, what Peter's just written in verses 3 to 11. And I want to divide it into three sections. He, he starts out with, with the indicative, basically, the way things are, the way things are. Right, What God, in your handout, has already accomplished. What he, has, what he has done. What is finished, complete, and cannot be undone. That's the indicative. It is. So listen to these wonderful words. Christ's divine power has granted to you, to us, all things that pertain to life and piety through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What a wonderful indicative that is, isn't it? It's what God has already accomplished, brothers and sisters. We ought, to, we ought to rest and rejoice in what he has done. And now, rooted in this indicative, rooted in what he has done, and, and also made possible by what he has done, is the imperative. What we must do in your handout, what we must do by faith. So, so Peter proceeds to the next section. And so, for this very reason, because of the things I just said, bringing all your energy to bear, and this is, again, this is 
my more literal translation of the Greek. So that's where this is coming from. That's the idea of the Greek here. Bringing all of your energy to bear, supply by your faith an abundance of moral excellence. And by your moral excellence, an abundance of knowledge. And by your knowledge, an abundance of self-control. And by your self-control, an abundance of steadfastness. And by your steadfastness, an abundance of piety. And by your piety, an abundance of brotherly affection. And you know, here's the thing. Peter could have kept going on and on and on and on and on. But he's well, I've got to draw this list to an end eventually, right? Because the point here is not a comprehensive catalog. There could have been more, could have been less. He could have left some out and put others in. The point is this, is this picture of the Christian life in, in general that's motivated by faith and that's summed up in love. Faith is first in the list. Love is last in the list. By your brotherly affection, abundance of love. So again, when Peter describes one virtue being supplied by another, he's just showing they're all interrelated. In other words, you can't work on one virtue without working on all the virtues. Sometimes we like to approach our Christian lives piecemeal. And again, some of us, maybe we have an anger problem, so we're working on anger, right? But even as you're working on, on being forgiving and loving, you're also forgiving and not resentful, right? You're working on steadfastness. That means working on self-control. Right? That means working on all the other virtues at the same time. So the Christian life is not this science. It's not a science where, we, where we're going to master this, and then let's go master this, and let's go master this. The Christian life is simply life in the Spirit, where working on one virtue means working on all the virtues, because it's all, it's all interrelated together. You might have an emphasis in your mind thinking, but this is the, this is the life of faith. It's the life that is characterized and summed up in one word, love. So what we see in this catalog of Christian virtues is the Christian's experience of God's salvation. By the living of my Christian life, I am experiencing day to day the salvation of God in Christ. So when you you go out and you you seek to be a self-controlled Christian, right? a steadfast Christian, as you do that, you are, you are experiencing God's salvation in, in your handout in the present. Because what does Paul say? That is the working out of your salvation in the present. All right, now we go on to the third section. Peter goes on to show, and I wrote this all out, I think this is all in your handout here. He goes on to show how the imperative, what you are called to do in the present, today and every day, what you're called to do, it, it proves the reality of what God has already accomplished in the past. So what you're doing today in the present is proving the reality of what God has already accomplished in the past. And so in this way, it guarantees your future, your future entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see how it's all, it's all put together? What God has done, the indicative, the imperative of what we're doing in the present, working out our salvation, is then bringing to us the assurance and the guarantee of our future entrance being richly provided into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 8-11 then, Peter says, For when these things, 
Okay, that's the imperative he just talked about. When they belong to you and are abounding more and more, they make you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever does not have these things, the imperative, is blind, being diseased in his eyes, having ignored, or we, the word is also really forgotten, having forgotten the cleansing of his former sins, what God has done. Therefore, brothers, be all the more zealous to confirm your calling and election. That's the indicative. That's what God has done in the past. He called us. He chose us. For as long as you do these things, right, there's the imperative, the working out of that salvation that we have, you will then most certainly never fall. And by fall, he means into eternal destruction. For in this way, in doing these things by faith, in in the living of the Christian life, there will be, in the future, richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there you go. There you have it. There, there is, in, in, in basically... Uh, an encompassing, Peter encompasses the whole of the Christian life. He encompasses your whole experience of God's salvation. Past, right? Present, future. As it's come to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that right there, you know, we were talking this morning, no, well, I was a little in, in Sunday school about how, as Christians, there is this, there is this, 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 the the teaching, the teaching that has been entrusted to us, and Peter has just wrapped it all up right there. In this short section, we have it all, and then Peter continues in verse twelve. Therefore, I am going to be always reminding you. Of these things. Now, one of the things I just want to point out is that you're going to say, Oh, you and Peter, you're going to be always reminding me of these things? Really? Right? Let's get some new stuff. Can't we get something new? But this is actually the point of this sermon. It's what I want us to bring us back to. Why, first of all, why is Peter going to be always reminding us of these things? Why? Because of what's at stake. That's why. Because Peter knows that what's at stake is your final salvation. What's at stake, in in his own language, is either being richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, That's one option. Or else, falling from our profession of Christ. Now, again, we know that True salvation cannot be lost. God justifies. He justifies forever. Justification cannot be undone. God adopts us. He doesn't adopt us and then cast us off. And yet there's another side to this, and this is the way God keeps us. He warns us. There is the other option of falling from our profession of Christ into eternal destruction and ruin. That's why. That is why Peter says... I am going to be constantly reminding you of these things. 
us. And so underlying, underlying all of Scripture, when we open our Bibles, underlying all of it, is the ultimate urgency in your handout of eternal matters. So right, the Scriptures aren't just an aid to living your best life now, right? Although I think Lance preached about that sometime. And, and they are. They are helping us to live our best life now. But, but I'm using it in a different way. So um, they're not just that, right? They're, they're the revelation of eternal life in Christ. Not just in the future, but present. And they're also then the revelation of everlasting death and judgment outside of Jesus Christ. Not just in the future, but present. And that's why, as the writer of Hebrews says, brothers and sisters, we should pay much closer attention. We don't rest on our laurels. We don't, we don't be like, got that, I already know that, good, I'm good. No, we ought to be paying constantly much closer attention to the things that we hear preached each week, to the things that we have heard. And that's why Peter says that he will be always reminding us of these things. What, what are the, these things he's going to be reminding us of, right? Well, it's the seven virtues. The things we ought to be doing, pursuing, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, piety, brotherly affection, love. But we can't separate out those virtues from the context in which Peter has placed them. And you hand out the whole gospel context. And so what Peter's really saying is that he'll be always be reminding us of the whole gospel. And, and so what, what is the gospel? Well, it's that which announces the completed work which God has accomplished in our lives. What has he done? And so I just encourage you, you ought to spend time. I ought to spend more time just thinking occasionally, this is what God did. This is what he did. He justified me. Right? He sanctified me. He set me apart unto himself. That's what he did. Before he did that, he called me. He called me, and he called me effectually so that I heard and answered that call by his grace. That's what he did. Before even that, he chose me. He chose me in Christ. This is the good news that comes to us, brothers and sisters, in the gospel. That's what he did. The gospel, though, is more than that. It's... It's that which promises and guarantees God's continued working in our lives. And so we ought to reflect on what we know by faith God is doing in me. He is transforming me. Sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? The process is so slow, you don't see it happening sometimes. Or, or sometimes we become so aware of our sin that we, we fail to realize the fact that God is doing a work in us. He is, not only has he sanctified us definitively, setting us apart for himself, but he is even now sanctifying us. Working in us to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's what he is doing. And so I tell myself this. We, we preach this to ourselves. Continued work of God in us. He's sanctifying us. He's protecting us, right? He's keeping us. The gospel also is that which obligates and enables us to bear fruit in our lives. So the gospel is, is, a, is, a, is a power at work within us. It's not just something that's come to bear on us and done something to us. It's now a living power at work within us, transforming us, enabling us to do and to work 
And the gospel finally is that which is always pointing me to my future. Eschatological hope. It points me to the future. So if we were to paraphrase one commentator, he, he says this. The content of Peter's message is ultimately no more than the basic Christian instruction which all Christians have already received. And that's why he speaks here of, of reminding. That's why he goes on to say in, in the second half of the verse, even though you know them and are already established in the truth that you have. I guess what I'm, we'll get to it later, but what I'm trying to do here is I believe what Peter is trying to do is bring us always back to the same thing that we've heard that we know. What is the truth? What is the truth that you already have? If you have it, you ought to know what it is you have, right? What is the truth in which you have already been established? If you're a true Christian and a believer, you've already been established in this truth. And it is the gospel teaching in all of its different facets, in all of its different, if if its fullness. So if we were to look at other scriptures, we'll have the scriptures here. You can look at what's the truth. The truth is, first of all, the gospel truth, which gives you new life, which has cleansed you, which has sealed you in the past, in your handout, past. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what God has done in the past. James 1.18, this is the truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth as new creations by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the truth is also the gospel truth, which is sanctifying me and changing me in the present. See, Titus chapter 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And then John also says, and well, I'll read the first half too. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So the truth, the truth is something that does its work upon us. But then the truth is something in which we walk. We walk in it. right? The gospel truth. The truth is the gospel truth, which does its work in the past, in the present, and then in the future, it will glorify us and transform us in resurrection power. So Paul says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that's our future hope, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So what is the truth? It's what you already have. It's the fullness of what you have, the whole gospel truth that we already know. So when Peter says, he says here, the truth that you have, he's not implying that there's still more truth out there for you to find, for you to go out and get. His point is actually the exact opposite of that. What is he saying? As a Christian, as Christians, we, have, we already have the whole truth. Because if you know and understand the gospel truly, 
and have been instructed in the gospel, then you, you possess the whole truth. We already know the whole gospel, and so think about the precious treasure that you have, that you possess. But does that lead then to complacency? It's kind of like this idea that, well, I can be careless now since I already know it all. Is that what Peter is saying? Well, you already know it all. So why am I even writing you this letter? Well, he wrote the letter, so that's not what he means. Well, what does he say? He says, even though, even though you're already established in the truth that you have, I will always be reminding you of these things. Why? Because we know from verses 9 to 11 that what happens, what does it mean to forget? Peter says, I'll be reminding you. He just talked in verse 9 about what happens when you forget. Forgetting means to fall. To forget. To forget means to lead to eternal destruction. Yeah, obviously to forget is not like, oh, I I forgot that. Oh, things were, you know, it's like, no. To forget is to cease living in light of it. To forget is to still know the facts in my head, but I'm no longer living the life that flows from those things. So Peter is saying, I'm going to constantly remind you of these things as a call to action. To stir you up, he will say in a moment. In reminding us, therefore, of these things that we already know, Peter is calling us to be living, 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 living in the present, the indicative of what God has already accomplished in the past, so that we might be fully assured of our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the future. Live, brothers and sisters, in the present. The indicative of what God has done in the past so that you might be fully assured of the future entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the present. The present takes on such power, such meaning. Today matters. Today. Today is beautiful because it's rooted in the past and leading to the future. That's why every day has so, so much meaning in the context of what we learn in the gospel. The reminder of what we already know is a constantly renewed call to action. Which explains what Peter says in the next verse. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to, he says, to stir you up, right? To provoke you, to rouse you by way of, of reminder. What a wonderful thing. See, the good news of a reminder is that we already know the truth. We're not lacking some, some light bulb moment at, at, some, at a fundamental level. We're not missing some little bit of information that if we only knew it and if we could only find the right teacher to tell it to us, our life would be transformed, right? Right? No, we have that truth all there for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now what do we need? We need the constant reminders as that call to action to live it. Remembering the gospel is ultimately about doing, right? Remembering the truth is ultimately about persevering in all the Christian virtues. The virtues that flow from faith and are summed up in love. 
So the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, I write to you not because you do not know the truth. I love it. It's like, you'd think an apostle, right? Here's the thing. John has already imparted the truth to them. So when he writes them a letter, he doesn't say, now let me tell you all the stuff that you still don't know. He says, no, I don't, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. You know the truth. Right. I'm writing to you because you know it. Isn't that interesting? Why would you write to someone when they already know? To remind them. John writes to the Christians not to impart new information, but to remind them of the truth they know in full so that they might continue standing firm in that truth. Because after all, the truth is not something just that we know. It's something we live. It's something that's called to be actually transforming how we approach each day of our lives. Actually for real. For real. Everything. So Jude also writes in Jude verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Package deal. There you have it, right? This whole faith has been delivered to you, but now we must contend for that faith. And so Jude goes on to write in verse 5, Now I want to remind you, remind you, although you once fully knew it, right? And what does Jude mean by fully knew it? You used to be living in light of what you know. You've been kind of stopping living in light of what you know. That Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, Jude's readers had not forgotten that fact, that piece of information. They knew that. They hadn't forgotten it. But they were in danger of no longer fully knowing it. I would just ask you, when we ask ourselves, yes, I know it, but do I fully know it? Do I fully, do I fully know? Which means... Am I living what I know? Am I being reminded? So what does Jude do? He doesn't tell them something new. He reminds them of the basic instruction they already know and once fully knew. So there's another, the same commentary I quoted before. He says, the apostolic faith. I love that expression, the apostolic faith, which tells us, again, it's complete. As he goes on to say, in which Jude's readers were thoroughly instructed at the time of their conversion, is definitive and complete. It does not need supplementing. That is such a radical thought in today's church. That the apostolic faith does not need supplementing. Now, no one would say it does out loud, maybe, and there, maybe some would, but many wouldn't. But yet we, we live and, and teach and preach and act in ways that we suggest it does need to be supplemented. We'll see that in, in just a second. But Jude and John and Peter and Paul, all of these New Testament writers, they were all writing primarily to remind their readers of things they already knew. Because they didn't establish churches by writing a letter to a pagan city and, or to a, a bunch of of, of unconverted Jews and hoping that this letter was going to convert them all. No, they visited these places, taught them, established them, established the churches, and then left. And then they wrote them letters reminding them. Reminding them. And we're glad they wrote these reminder letters because 
We can read them now because we weren't there when they visited the cities, right? But they send these constant reminders of the stuff I already told you. Let me tell it to you again. And now let me tell you to you again. And then sometimes there were these, these specific issues that arose, and they would address that specific question of how the gospel relates to that. But they reminded them of what they already knew, the truth they already received in which they were already established. Just a f- couple other examples, First Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware, right? You already know it. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? <laughs> they probably did remember, but, but they, weren't, they weren't living it. Second Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So are we then seeing what we need as Christians? Brothers and sisters, what is our need as Christians? What do we need? Week after week after week after week after week after week after week. What do we need? We need to be constantly reminded. That's it. And so if you come and you're like, well, I guess I was reminded. Right? Well, that's good. That's what you came for. Reminded of the gospel, of the truth that we already know, in which we've already been, as Peter says, established. In other words, we don't remind just because there's a crisis in the church, right? Yes, that happens, but Peter is reminding them, not because there's necessarily a crisis, he says, you've already been established in this truth, and yet, I'm still going to remind you, because that's what you need. And because, what else is there to talk about, right? How much new stuff are we supposed to be inventing to talk about? Anyone who teaches, in fact, Anyone who teaches something new, something novel, something additional, anyone who does more than just simply remind you constantly of the gospel you already know as a a constantly renewed call to action is to be in your handout rejected. Which means that we don't come here on Sunday morning, right, to learn something new. Now, and this is why I, I, I want to get this because there's a little balance. There's a little balance here. Because when you approach a text, we may not have ever kind of understood that text fully. So we see something new in that. When, we, when we're reading, I'm always learning something new in that sense. As every week I come to the scriptures, we, we learn something new. Um, but, I'm, but at a fundamental level, we're not learning anything new. Right? So you don't, we don't come here to learn the new stuff. That's not why we come. We don't come to go away saying, I didn't know that, or I never thought about it that way before, or that's a new insight. No, there's a sense in which these things happen, but they're not why we come. We come in your handout, again, to be reminded. And then to respond to that reminder in worship, calling on the name of our saving, redeeming Lord. That's why you never need to worry about memorizing all the information that you hear in this sermon or in any of the sermons on Sunday. Half the time, I can't remember all the information I just preached last week myself. I worked on it, right? I'm not worried about that. It's written down. I can go look at it again. The things I really need to go away with each week are the things I already knew and that I should only be reminding you of. 
Those are the important things. So we're all learning, yes, but it's not so much we're learning new information. What we're learning is the word of truth, the gospel. We're learning it more deeply. We're being more established in it so that we might be stirred up to persevere in all the Christian virtues every day of our lives. One thing this means, and you, uh, this is scary to do, but, but you need to test me and test all sermons by it. If this sermon is truly a faithful and a biblical sermon, the best way for you to remember and review this sermon will be to read and meditate on the scripture that's been preached. And I'm not saying there's not a value to reviewing the notes, but I don't ultimately want to draw your attention to the sermon notes and the handouts. That's not really where I ultimately want to draw your attention. I want to draw your attention to the power of the scriptures. Not to something new that I have discovered or that you've discovered in the sermon notes, but to what's in the scriptures that we already know, the truth of the gospel. It's one reason that I do avoid traditional sermon outlines because I I find that, at least for myself, these outlines often artificially impose on the text something that's not within the text, a a straitjacket on them. So in the end, it's not really the scriptures and their true purity and power that are being preached. Instead, it's my original take on the scriptures. I do not want to come here with an original take on the scriptures. I don't want to come here with how I have transformed the scriptures into something contemporary and relevant. I don't want to transform the scriptures into anything. I I was listening to a sermon recently by a well-known speaker. And I, I, I appreciated he was reading this obscure passage from Samuel. And read the whole passage. I, I was really blessed with just, hey, he's reading the scriptures. And then, and then afterwards, he's like basically saying, now, in order to understand what this, this scripture, which looks so hopelessly outdated, in order to understand what it means for us and how it's relevant for us, we have to understand this. And then he went on to make this scripture into something that it wasn't, so that it would be relevant, so that he could transform it into something contemporary. Brothers and sisters, We didn't need the new thing that he was bringing. We needed to be reminded. And there was a way to do that from that passage. This is what we want to avoid, and this is what I know I have done in the past, and I need to be careful of myself. It's this that we're coming to hear then, instead of coming to be. Why do we come? To be simply reminded, because I need to be reminded of the truth I already know. Therefore, Peter says... I'm going to be always reminding you of these things. Now, the Greek here is very unusual, and it's very actually difficult. What does Peter mean by the future tense? He's got this future tense here, which says, I am going to be always reminding you of these things. Now, what does Peter have in mind when he says something like that? I mean, because automatically, if we're to figure it out, we're saying, is he planning to write them daily, weekly letters? I'm going to be always reminding you. Are they going to get a steady stream of mail? Right? Every day? Or is he actually just going to go and live with them so he can be always reminding them of these things and preaching to them every week? How is he going to keep on constantly reminding them? We have to ask that question especially because of what Peter says next. What does Peter say next? I think it right. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder 
since I know that the putting off of my earthly dwelling will be soon, as also our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So why is Peter writing this letter? Because his time on earth is short. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be put to death for the sake of Christ. He's about 60 years old now. Back when Jesus was talking to him on the shores of Galilee, he was probably somewhere around 20 to 30. Now he's close to 60. Maybe he sees the signs of his approaching martyrdom in what's happening in Rome. And he's likely living in Rome. And Nero is in power now, coming to power. He sees. He knows it's coming. And so as Peter looks at his life, he looks, he's getting older. He sees what's happening, the storm clouds in Rome. He remembers, as I'm sure he never forgot, the words of Jesus to him. About 30 years earlier, after inviting Peter three times, inviting him to publicly profess his love for Jesus, and after then commissioning him three times, Peter, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Well, that time has come for Peter. Peter knows now that Jesus' word is about to be fulfilled. And so the beautiful thing is here, look what happens. Peter, instead of forgetting the sheep, in the light of his own approaching death, he is stirred to write to the sheep one more time. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. One day you'll be taken where you don't wish to go. Follow me, feed my sheep. And so right to the very end, Peter cares for the sheep. He knows that the word of Jesus is about to be fulfilled. He's stirred to write them one more time. And so what we see is that this letter is Peter's final reminder. Now, if this is so, and if Peter does not anticipate living long enough to write another letter, or to have really any more communication with the Christians in Asia Minor, this is like the last they're going to hear from Peter. Then how can Peter write in the previous verse, using the future tense, I am going to be always reminding you of these things. How do you do that once you're dead? How then can Peter go on to write in the next verse, he uses the future tense again in your handout. The future tense. And I will make every effort in the future so that after my departure, you may be able constantly to recall these things. To recall these things. It's interesting because we kind of tend to think of it like, I will make every effort. So we're like, well, Peter's making every effort right now. He's really making an effort as he writes this letter. But no, Peter is saying... I will then, in those future days, make every effort. It's really awkward in the Greek, again. It's an awkward idea. Has Peter already forgotten what he just said about his imminent death? Obviously not, because he goes on to say, I will then, in those future days, make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able constantly to recall these things. So what's Peter saying? You see it, right? You see what he's saying. He is envisioning this letter, 2 Peter. Well, it wasn't called 2 Peter at the time, but 
He's envisioning this letter being read and re-read and read and re-read again and again and again even after his death. You know, for most books, most books, right, I read it and I'm done. I don't want to read a book more than once, usually. Maybe it's really good twice. But Peter envisions this letter being read constantly. One commentator explains like this, very helpful. The ancients understood letters to stand in for living speech and for the living presence of the speakers, each representing its writer to its recipient in his or her inevitable absence. So it's through this letter, through the repeated reading of this letter, that Peter's going to be always reminding us of these things, these things we already know and this truth in which we've already been established. It's through the repeated reading of this letter that Peter envisions himself. It's like Peter sees, it's like, I'm going to be dead, but my letter is stands in for my living speech. And so after I'm dead, I'll still be making every effort, right? So that you may be able constantly, constantly to recall, to recall, to recall, to recall these things. So we come then to conclude this basically simple idea. I want to say that there is a crisis, and I'm not trying to be over, over dramatic about this. There is a literal crisis in the conservative, evangelical church today of a lack of confidence in the true and full sufficiency of Scripture. And I want to be careful that we don't just put it out there to all the other churches. But where does that come home to us? There's a dangerous desire, and it's a dangerous desire, for the relevant. And by relevant, we often mean the contemporary. For what's, for what's shiny and new. And so what we have ceased to believe in is the simple, flat-out beauty and power of the truth you already know. And in which you have already been established. What we need then today is to hear the same word God spoke to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to these words. Thus says Yahweh, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. Not some new ones. Ask for the old ones. Where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So dear brothers and dear sisters, let us beware, and I say this to myself, lest we should in any way forget. And again, we're not talking about forgetting in our heads. No, forgetting, forgetting as in a, a failure to live. Lest we should in any way forget or be moved away from that truth in which we have all been established. May we be stirred up. May we love in your hand. May we love to be always reminded of these things. Though we know them already, may we be stirred up by these constant reminders 
to persevere in these things. In your handout, walking. Walking in every Christian virtue until that day. Until that day when there is richly provided for me and for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living in the present, the reality of the past, that the future might be guaranteed and assured more and more and more in the joy of our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that, that the, for the apostolic faith once for all delivered to the saints. Lord, I pray that you would guard us, guard us from the dangerous desire for the shiny and the new, for the contemporary and the, quote, relevant. Lord, let us come back day after day after day to the joy of being reminded, of being reminded because of the danger of forgetting. And thank you that each reminder is in itself a call to action. Because to forget, we know, is to fail to live what we know. Lord, we thank you for for what you have done in the past. Let us rehearse that to ourselves. Let Let us preach it to ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in the present. Let us be encouraged in that fact in the face of our continued failures and, and, and sin which seems so ever-present sometimes. Let us be reminded of what you are doing in the present, of what you are enabling us to do as we work out the salvation we have. And as we do this, in light of what you've already done, may our assurance of that future entrance that's abundantly supplied to us Fill us, fill us with joy. Lord, I pray for this church, this body of believers, that we would never go beyond the teaching. That we would remain and abide in the truth that we have. And we thank you for it. Father, I pray for your blessing on each and every one of us as we go from here later after this meal, after this Lord's Supper, that you, that you watch over and keep us and let us, let us walk in every Christian virtue of piety and steadfastness and self-control and, and faith and brotherly affection and love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.